You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is back and ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Back this week after taking last week off. I don't even know the last time I took a week off, but uh, couldn't really help it. Oral surgery last week, had to get healthy. Um mouth was swollen all that good stuff you don't want to hear about all that but uh that was the reason for no episode last week i'll let you guys know on youtube uh, on the uh social channel there uh, where i can make posts i'll let you guys know there uh, twitter of course i know you guys follow me i, I posted a picture uh, i don't even remember posting after it i was put to sleep and uh didn't even remember posting a picture after the surgery on twitter so a lot of people got a good kick out of that uh uh, my mom took me to the to the surgery. She said, did you know you, uh, you posted this on, on Twitter? I was like, uh, nope, there we go. So uh, a lot of you out there had fun with that. Uh, it's still floating around out there, but uh, all in good fun, all in good fun. But I don't remember any of it. So <laughs> there we go. Uh, but man, what a big episode here of Gators Breakdown. Took that week off last week. Um, and um, I was like, man, I got, I got to come back with a bang. Uh, but I've been trying to work on this one anyway uh, for the last few weeks. But Gene Chizik, former Auburn head coach, current SEC network analyst. That's where a lot of you guys know Gene Chizik from. But also, connection to Florida. He graduated from Florida. He's an alum of Florida. Played football for the Gators in their early 80s. So we'll hit on that just a little bit with Gene Chizik. But also, you know, his history with Dan Mullen. And, uh, of course, He's an SEC network analyst now. He gets to, to, to study these teams in a, in a different light. I'm sure he still looks at it as a as a coach in, in some ways, but also as an analyst in other ways now. So we'll pick his brain about the Gators and, and all that good stuff. But, man, excited to have him on. Will Miles will also join uh, by phone as well uh, to, to shoot some of his questions and thoughts towards Gene Shizik. So, uh, I'm going to do the you know intro here by myself, but Will Miles will also join us here, uh, as we get, um, and w- when we get, uh, to the Gene Chizik uh, portion of the episode. But, uh, before we get there, guys, just a reminder, Gators Breakdown Plus, thank you guys so much for a, a pretty good launch in the last few weeks, uh, uh, of Gators Breakdown Plus gave our uh, hover helmet away uh, the, the the last episode, uh, so that was a good. But more giveaways coming up, uh, of course. Uh, a lot of you, if you watch the YouTube version, you see the footballs uh, behind me there. 
giving away some of those uh, national championship footballs. You see them uh, on YouTube version right there at the top of the shelf behind me. I'll be giving a couple more uh, of those away as well for Gators Breakdown Plus members. But look, starting at $3 a month for just general support. If you just support what we do here on Gators Breakdown, you know, <laughs> throwing some a few dollars our way on Gators Breakdown Plus, just support what we do here on Gators Breakdown is all well and good. But even that, gets you some benefits there starting at three dollars a month you get access to gators breakdown plus episodes early access uh to certain episodes a lot of you for this gene chizik interview since it's pre-recorded you get the benefit of a pre-release so all the gators breakdown plus members have already had this episode they've already listened to this episode uh here so that's one more benefit only for starting you know starting at three dollars a month there so a lot more benefits uh as well but if you want even more it can go up to ten dollars a month and my goal always to ensure Whatever level you choose, you'll get back more than you will give. Members will receive full access to unique episodes, select Gators Breakdown episodes early, a blog that's been doing pretty well. I do a weekend review blog for kind of, you know, the major Gator sports there. Uh, of course, hit on football, but been hitting on basketball and baseball a little bit, just kind of reviewing, you know, popular topics through the week there. So, um that's been doing pretty good. Discord server chat going well uh, in, in that. So pretty good chats going on uh, with Gators Breakdown Plus members. But the, all, as I mentioned, the giveaways, ask me anything sessions, watch parties, shout outs and more. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to check it out and join. Link is in the description. Sign up today. And before we get started, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at NewsForgeJacks.com slash Gators Breakdown on that YouTube version if you're watching it. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Really, really, really helps us out. And look, we're almost, I uh, believe, at 6,000 subscribers uh, on YouTube. So get us there. Get us there. If you aren't subscribed yet, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. If you want the audio version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform or on social media. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And now we're joined by our guest, Coach Gene Chizik. Everybody kind of knows him as the head coach of the 2010 National Champion Auburn Tigers, now current SEC Network analyst. But, Coach, many don't know of your connection to the University of Florida. Played football for the Gators in the early 80s, graduated from uh, Florida in 85. So take us back a little bit of how you ended up at Florida in your time there. Yeah, I did. So I'm a Gator. I'm one of the few guys in the state of Florida that actually grew up there, right? So I'm a Florida native, uh, Floridian, and um, always loved the University of Florida and uh, had an opportunity to walk on there. Uh, My senior year of high school, I was getting recruited by several people and ended up blowing my knee out, my MCL, uh, halfway through my senior year. Um, but was a preferred walk on at Florida and ended up there and actually started in 80, had some medical complications that continued through 81, but uh, had a great time there. Coach Charlie Pell was our coach and uh, we had a, had a great relationship with him. He treated me great and uh, man, I enjoyed my time there. I'm still a Gator through and through and uh, still uh, keep a lot of relationships with a lot of those guys from back then. So uh, again, not just Chris Doring, as you guys know, um, but uh, I, I'm very, uh, very acquainted with a lot of the Gator folks. Well, well, Coach, Charlie Pell's sort of been forgotten a little bit in Florida history. What, what do you think Gators fans who came on board during the Spurrier or the Meyer era should know about Pell and sort of what he did for the program? Well, I think, you know, in, you know he took the job in the late 70s and the early 80s. You know, he really uh, he really changed the recruiting. Uh, I think he changed the culture. 
Uh, and he really got that thing flipped around. And of course, you know, everybody's going to talk about Coach Spurrier, and rightly so. I mean, he was amazing with what he did, just taking everything to the next level. And, of course, what uh, what Irvin was able to do, too. But, but Charlie Pell, at a time when Florida football needed a boost, uh, you know, he definitely gave him a boost. All right, Coach, let's get to these uh, current Gators a little bit in their, in their current form. And you know Dan Mullen well. You coached against him head-to-head uh, from your time at Auburn and his time at Mississippi State. And, and now you get to study him week in and week out as an SEC Network analyst. So what has changed? From your time of coaching against Dan Mullen, what has stayed the same from when you guys used to go head to head? Well, I don't think a lot's changed. I've always said this about Dan, uh, and I'll stick to it. I think he's one of the best play callers in college football. Uh, I think he's one of the best minds in college football. And I'll tell you what he does a great job of. To me, as I really watch him offensively, he does a great job of taking different types of players uh, in his system and really allowing these guys to use their skill set and do what they do best. And they're always productive. So, you know, you can go back to the Mississippi State days, you know, when he had Dak Prescott. You know, he did certain things with Dak uh, that he didn't do with Kyle Trask. Uh, If you go back and you look at the Tim Tebow days when he wasn't the head coach but he was the coordinator, he did different things with Tim Tebow than he did with Kyle Trask. So now, uh, you know, when you look forward to – you know, what his what his ability is as a play caller and, and a play designer, uh, it really gives you a, a good idea of what he may do with an Emory Jones, right? A 6'2", 215-pound uh, guy, been in the system, athletic guy, can get out of the pocket and do some things with his feet. Uh, in contrast, Kyle, Kyle Trask wasn't able to do that. But think about it. When Kyle Trask came in, for Felipe Franks a couple of years ago, he was able to adapt and adjust the system to do what Kyle did best and ended up winning 11 games. So I think that's what Dan does best. Uh, I don't think anything's changed. I think this is going to be a new looking offense. You may see some things that are a little different, but I can pretty much promise you it's going to be a productive one. Yeah, so, Coach, you talked about his ability to game plan, but what about Mullen's reputation throughout the SEC and in coaching circles about making halftime adjustments? There was obviously sort of a, a switch that got uh, switch that got switched during the SEC championship game. The team was much better in the second half. Um, what does he do when he's when he's actually on there coaching during game day to make sure that the Gators are effective when they go into halftime? Well, I think that's part of, of play calling, right? You know, you're you're seeing what Alabama's doing in this case in the SEC championship game. Uh, you know, look, the first half uh, usually unfolds where there are some adjustments to be made. Uh, you're hoping there's not a lot that has to be made because what you've seen on film the week before, the lion's share of that you're going to be seeing. But there are some tweaks. Um, there are some ways that you can figure out based on what they're doing defensively to get matchup issues. Uh, and I think you saw that. I, I think you saw in the second half, uh, Dan did a great job of finding matchups. Uh, seeing what, uh, you know, Alabama was playing uh, and being able to take advantage of some of those things. Some was running the football. uh, Some was throwing the ball and getting one-on-one advantages, whether it was height advantages with some of those tall receivers. But Dan, again, is one of the best in the business of knowing what he can do and what he can pull from in his library offensively, seeing what you do defensively, and then, you know, being able to, you know, take advantage of some, of some of those things. 
and he's always done that great. And that's why he had so much success, you know, at Mississippi State, which, you know, for anybody that comes into Mississippi State, the success is going to be hard to duplicate. Coach, you mentioned the change in offense a bit with Kyle Trask compared to uh, Tim Tebow or Dak Prescott. And, you know, Dan Muller reinvented himself. I don't think we we saw that coming to a, a more of an aerial attack and throwing the ball 40, 45 times a game and, and having a lot of success with it. You won a national championship in 2010 with, you know, one of the best dual threat quarterbacks to ever do it. Uh, there, there with Cam Newton. Do you, and, and this kind of comes from our Gators Breakdown Plus member, Scott Sweat, and he submitted a question to kind of, uh, throw towards your way, you know, do you still feel in today's, you know, aerial attack college football that, you know, you still need that dual threat quarterback or, you know, can, you know, now we saw it with Mac Jones and but for Dan Mullen, do you think he can win with either style or do you think his best offense is still the, maybe the Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson type of quarterback that's going to take him to the heights of a national championship winning coach? Well, I, I you know, if you want to specifically ask, do I think Dan Mullen can do it with either? emphatically yes i mean you just watched it okay and let's let's go back guys you know i mean i'm a gator i i've been following them let's go back to the problems before dan mullen got there what were the problems we had no production at the quarterback position correct all of a sudden dan gets in there and whether it was felipe french or kyle trask it didn't matter both of them were on the rosters before dan got there uh but you weren't seeing production at that position so I think he does a great job with developing quarterbacks in whatever system he has to. Now, to address the question you asked about quarterback play, I always think you're at an advantage when you have an when you have an athletic quarterback that stresses the defense. And what I mean by that is that when you have the quarterback in college football that that um, can create you issues in the run game with not simply numbers. And I don't think people really understand the critical nature of that. When you can, uh, you know, give the defense numbers problems, meaning you're using your quarterback as a tailback, in essence, then you're using your tailback as a blocker. And in those cases, you are one short on the defense in terms of guys to be able to bring down the quarterback. That's where you become and you have, um, you know, issues when the quarterback's a runner, it doesn't mean that you got to use the tailback as a blocker every time, but you know, simple zone read you get, you know, you have, you have to, you know, account for the tailback run. And then from somewhere on the second level, you have to account for the quarterback run that strains defenses. And then on top of that, you have tempo and Dan Mullen loves to tempo. So now you got tempo. Now you got quarterback runs. Now you have all the things that really stress a defense with getting lined up quickly, making sure you have enough for the quarterback run game. And oh, by the way, he can throw as well. So let's make sure we're maximizing coverage. Those are the things that strain defenses. So I'm always going to err on the side in college football of having an athletic guy that can still throw the football. Uh, but that that doesn't mean that, that, you know, that's a deal breaker on winning championships. We saw it with Mac Jones. We saw in the SEC championship two quarterbacks that were not athletic out of the pocket guys, right? They were pocket passers, stood big in the pocket and they delivered. So you don't have to win with them, but the, you know, the lion's share of coaches will tell you that if they have a choice and they need an athletic guy or they can have access to an athletic guy, they'll take it every time. 
And so last season as a Florida defensive player, you, you knew you could make mistakes and Trask and company could get it right back. This year, that may not be the case, or at least it might not be quite as quick of a strike with all the changes on offense we've talked about. As, as a defensive player and a defensive coach, is it difficult to adjust to that change, just the idea that maybe Florida's going to have to rely heavier on its defense this year? Well, I don't think as a player you think about that. I think as a player, every time you go out there, you know, your job is to stop the other group. I don't think it's in the back of your mind that, hey, you know, if we don't stop them, we have a cushion. I don't think that's how defenses are built mindset-wise. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, to me, um, overall big picture, yeah, I don't think um, Florida from a defensive coaching staff um, picture is going to feel like they have that buffer necessarily that they had last year. They might. We don't know. We don't know who the next Trevon Grimes could be or the next Kyle Pitts or Kadarius Tony. We don't know. There might be one out there. We know we have a stable of running backs, um, and but you know there's a lot of other questions. So I don't think you can rely on that cushion, and I think the coaches understand that. From a player's perspective, they got one job. Their job is to go out every single time and on every single series get a three and out. And if you don't get a three and out, stop them from scoring touchdowns. At, at worst, keep them to kick field goals. And if you have those scenarios and that's the your mentality in the back of your mind, that's all you think about. Uh, but from a big picture, from a fan's standpoint, from an analyst standpoint, from a 10,000-foot standpoint, I don't think the, the, the defense will have necessarily the same luxury they had last year with being able to have a cushion because you know you're going you're gonna to score, you know, a zillion points a game. Gene Tizzit joining us right here on Gators Breakdown as we continue our conversation with him. And Coach Will just brought up defense, and we'll head to, to that side of the ball and what disappointing side of the ball it was for the Gators in 2020. And look, we saw LSU make a change in just one season. Bo Pelini's gone as their defensive coordinator. Uh, so a lot of Gator fans are asking themselves, you know, why should Mullen keep Todd Grantham around after a, a you know, very rough season there in 2020? It held Florida back uh, from doing bigger things in 2020. Uh, and to extend one more time for our, our Gators Breakdown Plus member, Colin, he says, you know, how does Grantham fix the defense? And what are your expectations for the Florida defense in 2021? I expect them to be much improved. Uh, I think Todd's a good football coach. And, and again, I know the mentality out there with fan bases and everybody else. It's what have you done for me lately? But I can also circle back to a lot of games where I could point out that the defense played great, got a lot of turnovers, got a lot of sacks. I mean, go back to the opening game when they played Miami a couple of years ago. I don't know. They had 10 sacks that game. So, you know, there, there's a lot of things that you could point to on the success that Todd Grantham has uh, has had at Florida as well. Uh, but no, last year was not a stellar year. Last year it was a, it was a severe decline. Uh, you know, they made some coaching changes on defense. I don't know where the problems lied in the coaching staff room, uh, but apparently they need to make some changes. I think they've got players. I think they'll always have players. I think everything starts with a defensive line. I think you got to have some big, stout bodies on the defensive line at the University of Florida. You should always have those guys down there. You should always have high draft picks down there. Um, I think it's a room that's got some really good linebackers uh, production-wise. Uh, I think the fact that you know a couple of guys came back that I wasn't sure was going to come back, Ventrell Miller uh, would be one case in point with that. 
Um, but I think they've got linebackers. Uh, I think there's no question that they'll always have secondary secondary guys. I mean, Elam's got to step up and play his best game. I mean, it's a 6-2 corner that has first rounder written on him if he produces. Um, but I think they're really loaded at the linebacker spot. Um, I don't know if they need to simplify. I don't know what the situation was. It seemed like last year, uh, just at times, uh, they were out of place. And they were out of place pretty often. So that's what Todd has to fix. He's a smart football coach. His charge is to go back and figure out what they didn't do well. And obviously don't replicate that. What they did do well and replicate that. And he's got to go figure that out. So whether that's simplifying, uh, whether that's, um, you know, uh, getting different players in there, whether that is changing some things schematically with the new coaching staff that may add, uh, you know, to the defensive production. It could be all the above or one of the three. Uh, but they, they certainly are going to you know, go back and look at things and shore those, shore those up. But they're going to have players. Uh, you're always going to have players at the University of Florida. They just got to get them in the right spots. And so, Coach, I'm curious, what was your decision-making process when you were the head coach for making a change in the coaching position, particularly at those coordinator slots? I mean, there's obviously a lot beyond field results that you have to consider, but you also have to balance that with recruiting and relationships and and the the players that you're bringing in and who might be impacted if you decide to make a change. Yeah, there's no doubt, guys, and that, and there's no cookie cutter way to you know to go about that. You know, here's the bottom line in coaching. There's three things that you better have, especially this day and age. Number one, you better have a great defensive acumen. You better know X's and O's. You better understand offense. You better be able on game day to make adjustments. That's the football acumen that um, there's no uh, there's no relenting on that. Okay, it's not an option. You have to have that. Second thing you got to be able to do. You got to be able to recruit real dudes, especially in this league. You know, this league is all about recruiting. It's all about bringing in great players. You want to get back to that SEC championship game. You better have the right dudes on your field because you can be the greatest coach in the country. And if your X's and O's don't match up to that other greatest coach in the country you're facing, which in this league, you're going to face great ones every week, then you can't win. So you better have the right guy. So you better be able to recruit. And the third thing you better have, you better have relationship with the players and the players have to trust you and they have to believe in you. And, you know, that's a big part that the outside fan base never sees. You only see that in practice, in game day, on the, in the locker room, in meetings, uh, you know, that relationship and that trust with the players and their coach today is greater and of more importance than it's ever been. You better have that. If you don't have that, if you don't have the trust, if you don't have the confidence, if you don't have the relationship, it's tough sledding. And I don't care how your players are. I don't care how good your players are. Uh, I don't care how your scheme is. The players have to trust in you. They have to believe in you. They have to know you believe in them. And you have to have great lines of communication. That's the bottom line. So when you make a change, uh, you're hoping that your coordinator has all three of those. Sometimes they have two of the three. You can hang on to them if they have two of the three, usually. Um, you know, but when you get down to one of the three, 
probably time to make a change. And I don't know what it looks like behind the scenes. Uh, I know Todd Grantham's a good football coach and he's an X and O guy. Uh, I don't know exactly how the recruiting's been. You know, people want to re- judge recruiting based on our TV shows that we do every week and what that final stat looks like. But the reality of it is you don't necessarily have to recruit a guy that was a five-star. Now, you know, people are going to want to win. You're going to want to win the press conference on recruiting day, right? But look at Josh Allen from Kentucky, who nobody heard of. He's a two- or three-star guy. There was a fifth or sixth pick in the draft, six foot four, 255-pound outside linebacker, because they saw something in him that let them know that he would be much more than a two-star when he left here. So, you know, is Florida recruiting those guys that, you know, maybe they're that three-star guy, maybe they're that, you know, uh, forgot, forgotten about four-star guy that got hurt his senior year, didn't have a great year, uh, dropped down to a three-star, but you can develop them. You know, these are the things you don't know. Everybody wants to cast, uh, you know, their opinions on, on you know, recruiting because Nick Saban is, is – is, He's basically set the bar, right? I mean, he's had X amount of draft picks. His, his recruiting is off the chart every, uh, every uh, you know, recruiting day and every signing day. Uh, and he develops them as well. Um, but he's not the only guy out there that can do that. So what does it look like in the recruiting front and developing players? What does it look like behind the scenes when coaches uh, need to have relationship with players? I don't know what all that looks like. But when you go into making a decision of making a change, all of those things are taken into consideration. And if you only have one of the three things that I said, more than likely at some point, a change may need to be made. I'm not suggesting that at Florida. I'm saying that in a big picture way. Coach, when I announced that I was going to have you on, I think the overwhelming uh, thought that was put my way uh, was, and I'm sure you've been asked this almost, you know, every time you're on a radio show or a podcast is, uh, will you get back into coaching? And so what does that look like? You know, you most recently in North Carolina uh, there and, you know, uh, and came back to the uh, SEC network. Uh, this, is there still the desire to get back into coaching one day? Well, I do get asked that a lot, guys. Um, you know, so when I, when I got out at North Carolina, when I was the defense coordinator at North Carolina, I got out for one reason. My son uh, had two years left of high school, and I just was not seeing him play. I'd seen two baseball games and two football games in two years. And I just really kind of had to evaluate, take a step back, and, and ask myself what kind of regrets I might have years later if I, if I continued on this path. Uh, and I just dropped the anchor and I stopped and, you know, I went back into TV, uh, which I've had a great time doing. Uh, I've been out four years. Uh, I've had several job opportunities, uh, would be, um, fair to say for sure, uh, as coordinator jobs, um, and, uh, been solicited for several different, uh, head coaching jobs. Don't know that I would have gotten them or not, but I, turned down even opportunities to talk in some cases, some cases I didn't. So, you you know, to to answer your question, uh, if the right job comes along, uh, I'm absolutely, uh, you know, never going to say never. Um, I, I, without question, uh, feel like I've kept up with the game on purpose. Uh, I do football in the off season, the entire off season with a lot of different coaches. Sometimes it's, um, doing some consulting with defenses. Sometimes it's just bringing and meeting with different coaches to stay up on the game so that if I do choose to go back in, 
uh, I won't be behind the behind the eight ball. So uh, I'll never say never. Uh, if the right opportunity presents itself and it has to be a really good one, uh, I would uh, I would certainly uh, entertain it. Uh, but at this point in my life, it has to be something really good that really excites me uh, because I got a great TV gig. Um, you know, I'm still involved with the game of football. Uh, and, and so I love that part of it. Uh, but again, to, to say, to say that I would never jump back in that, that would be, uh, that would be misleading. Uh, but I have not found the exact one, uh, that I love and I would have to love it. L O V E not like it, love it. I've had a lot of likes. Uh, that were offered to me, but no loves. So uh, if that answers your question, that's kind of where I'm at on this. Well, Coach, you're, you're one of three SEC coaches with Les Miles in that order on to win a national title with, with Saban at Alabama. And, and Les Miles sort of got that before Saban really got it going there in, 20, in 2007. So what does it take to slay that giant? I mean, as somebody who spent time at Auburn, you certainly got to see that up, up close. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's kind of the formula everybody's looking for, right? Um, you got to have obviously a great football team. You got to have you know a great year in coaching and making adjustments. You got to have some luck along the way for sure. Um, you know, uh, it's a tough giant to slay, guys. Let's be honest. I mean, every time you look up, you know, if they're not in the national championship conversation, uh, they're knocking at the door. So. Uh, Look, you just got to keep grinding. Uh, obviously, the recruiting is a huge piece in this. You know, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna outcoach Nick Saban. You know, you're hoping you can match wits with him. You're hoping that you're hoping that you you know have a little bit of luck along the way if you are matching wits with him. Uh, but you know, if you're gonna beat him, you're gonna have to really, really be close in the in the recruiting game. You don't have to necessarily out recruit him. Uh, on every player, but one thing you better do, you better bring the guys in. You can develop because when his football team trots out on the field, they look real and you can get, I mean, the draft coming up here in a couple of weeks, you're going to see potentially six first rounders on one team. Um, you know, that's a, that's a lot of first rounders, you know, and you go back and look what it, when LSU uh, won it a couple of years ago, what they have five first rounders in that draft. Uh, that's a lot of first round picks. Uh, so you got to have the you got to have the talent. You got to have a little bit of luck, uh, and uh, obviously you got to be on top of your game, X's and O's wise. Coach, you're talking about having the talent, and I think that talent for you started with Cam Newton at quarterback. Somebody Florida fans know very well. Started his career at Florida, had to go JUCO, and ended up at Auburn. Um, we know the storylines there. You know the the the, the not so clean storylines of that that went around. Uh, you know the ESPN reports of uh, of Cam Newton's recruitment. You don't have to go into to all that part of it, but just take us to that through that timeline of uh, of Cam leaving Florida, having to go to JUCO route, you know, was Dan Mullen and, and at Mississippi State your 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 biggest competition of, uh, of getting Cam Newton to Auburn? And what was that recruitment like? And, you know, what did Cam bring to, to Auburn and, and, and you end up hoisting that crystal ball at the end of 2010? Yeah, it was um, it was just a really kind of a, a unique unfolding of, of everything. You know, we uh, we found out about Cam uh, when he was out at Blinn Junior College. He was getting ready to win the national championship out there. Um, and he had, you know, got rave reviews from his coach out there and, as we talked to him. And he was just, you know, he was the model guy out there. He was a the guy that, you know, was a great leader, 
um, you know, did everything right. I think he kind of really embraced the second chance um, when he was let go at Florida. Uh, and he really embraced it. And he really, you know, he, he, he was appreciative. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you go to a junior college and you got to buy your own cleats on, you know, the day before the game and there ain't no Gatorade waiting for you when you get out of practice, right? You got a hose with water coming out of it. I think you get a, a, another perspective. And I think that certainly happened. And when we got him with us on campus, he was tremendous for us. I mean, he was with us for one year. I mean, he was great uh, in the classroom. He was great uh, on the field. He was a great leader. He bought into everything we wanted to do. Uh, he came in and had to earn the position, as I told him. You know, nobody earn, you know, nobody inherits things because of who you are or were. Uh, you know, he came in, he did everything we asked him to do, was never late to anything, um, was just a great teammate. And uh, the players, you know, bought into him. Uh, they loved him. And then obviously he's a great football talent. He was a generational college quarterback. And I want you guys to understand that the impact of Cam uh, on how great of a college football player he was you know, you're sitting here looking at, you know, the Alabamas and the LSUs, and I'll use those two as an example, with six first-rounders and several, you know, second and third and fourth-rounders. Uh, you know, on that football team, we had two first-rounders. We had the best football player on the defensive line in college football in Nick Fairley, and we had the best quarterback and best offensive player in college football, and he was surrounded with nothing but good college players. He was not he was not surrounded with draft picks, no draft picks, no draft picks at wideout, no draft picks at tailback, no draft picks at tight end. It was him. And that is the difference. And if you go back and look at our whole entire roster, you can't find any draft picks other than those two. You had a seventh rounder at offensive tackle and a seventh rounder, another defensive tackle. And those guys didn't last in the league at all. So what you saw was a lot of times when you see yourself surrounded in these national championship games, when it's Clemson and Ohio State, you see these guys surrounded by all these draft picks everywhere. We didn't have them. We had a good college core of players, and we had Cam Newton, and we had Nick Fairley. And if you really want to go back and look at what somebody's impact was on the field and what he brought to the table as a college football player, Go back and study that one and study the offensive guys he had around him because he didn't have anything close to what you're seeing weapons-wise from some of these other guys. It's just fact. So that kind of gives you an idea of what he did for us and how appreciative we were for, you know, for his time at Auburn. I wish I had him another year, um, <laughs> but obviously when you're the first pick of the draft, you got to go. Well, Coach, that's, that's interesting talking about all the draft picks sort of at Alabama and LSU. And the college football landscape is starting to change a little bit, particularly with the name, image, and likeness changes. And I'm curious your opinion about how that impacts the coach, how a program's run, and how a coach builds a program. Well, I don't know, guys. To be honest with you, I'm worried about it. I don't like it. Um, I totally understand that the, that the players need to be compensated uh, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but I don't – you know, when you start getting politicians and people involved in making athletic decisions who don't really understand the ramifications and all the unintended consequences that go with this, you have issues. That's just fact. And, you know, one of the pure things about a college football locker room is that everybody's equal. Your scholarship's worth my scholarship. We get the exact same thing. 
And I worry about what these locker rooms look like. I worry about what this is going to do in bringing the professional mentality, you know, in pro football or pro athletic, professional athletics, everybody understands that, you know, if you're a $30 million a year pitcher, they understand right now that you're, you're going to be different from the other guy who's a bullpen guy. Everybody understands that. Uh, in, in, you know, in the NFL, everybody understands that the 25 million or $30 million quarterback is going to be different from the guy who makes 750 because he's a kickoff coverage guy and special teams guru. Everybody knows that. Well, that's what makes professional football, professional football. So everybody can live with that. But in the college locker room, it's different. And that was sacred because everybody was on the same playing field. I have no idea how this is going to affect recruiting. I have no idea how this is going to affect potential people trying to find loopholes and or cheating. I don't have any idea how it's going to affect it. But I, my suspicion is it's not going to affect it in a positive way. And then all of a sudden we're going to go back and look at our uh, this legislation that we've put in and go, oh, boy, well, we didn't consider that. Oh, boy, well, we forgot about that. Oh, boy, they found a loophole there. And I don't like it. And it's just like I don't like the transfer portal the way it is now. I'm not against transferring. I don't like the way the portal's set up now. I think it's completely dis- uh, a complete disadvantage to the coaches. I think it's a complete disadvantage and distraction. And in the long run, can definitely help players, but in the long run can hurt them as well. And probably hurt more of them than can help them. And so I don't like these things that are changing the landscape of college football because, I, again, I think we throw them out there. They sound like a good idea when we first put them out. And then all of a sudden they become things that we have to, you know, reel back in because they're they're changing and ruining college football. So uh, I think the name, image and likeness discussion uh, is going to be interesting the way it unfolds. You know, right now I'm worried about it. Coach, last thought from you here, um, kind of to extend the state of college football thought. You know, we had the COVID season last year, um, and end of the season, it was the same. We, we we thought there was some chance of unpredictability because of COVID and and how everything played out, but it was the same teams <laughs> toward the end of the season. Uh, is college football becoming stale? You know, you have the Saban dynasty and and, and the same teams. Is it ruining college football's growth? Do you, do you see it in, in that way? Or, you know, uh, the college football playoff, is it uh, having a negative effect on the college football as well? You know, it just seems it's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, you know, those teams that are going to just kind of rear their head as, you know, in some combination of the final four in college football. Well, it's certainly the trend uh, right now. Uh, it doesn't ruin it for me. I love watching great college football. I don't care who's in there. And again, for fan bases and you know people that write about it and talk about it for a living, um, they're going to make the argument that it is getting stale to a degree because it's same old, same old. Um, but you know that's athletics. I mean, that's that's the way it is. And until somebody can you know come in there and insert themselves and you know, be part of that conversation, be that, you know, that conversation with Clemson or with Ohio State or with Alabama. Uh, you know, it's not going to change. For me personally, I just love watching great college football players coached really well and become great college teams. 
right now you're seeing the same ones, yes. Um, but uh, the, the reality of it is we can like it, we can not like it. You know, the playoffs are what they are. Will they expand to eight? I have no idea. Uh, but right now we're at four. And, um, you know, for the fan base out there whose team they're not happy with seeing the same four in there, uh, you know, their team's just going to have to, you know, ramp it up a notch and, and get into the discussion. But, um, you know, I, I don't see it changing anytime soon. But to me, it doesn't bother me a lick. I just love seeing great college football. Good stuff. Good stuff. Coach, I can't thank you enough for joining Will and I here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, great insight from your, your time at Florida on the Gators, college football in general. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to do it again. But thank you, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a great day. All right. Good stuff, Will. Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, you know, you, you understand why he's on the, uh, why he's on the SEC network, got an opinion about everything and, uh, and very researched in terms of what his, uh, what his opinions are. Yeah. I think the, the kind of the, for, toward the end of it, uh, you can tell he's coming from the coach's side of the world of recruiting, the world of name, image, and likeness, and, uh, you know, making hires and making fires. I mean, you can see uh, he's still got the coach blood in him of a little, uh, probably a little, you know, being a little more conservative in, in, in a lot of those regards. Yeah, but, you know, I think there were two things I really took from that, right? That the first is that you're not going to outcoach Nick Saban. Yeah. That's an important thing I think for people to hear, right? That that you've got a coach saying a coach who coached at Auburn saying you're not going to outcoach Nick Saban, and then the decision making process when it comes to making a change at coordinator, where you're looking at the football acumen, you're looking at the recruiting, the recruit real dudes. I think I might need to make a T-shirt that says that, <laughs> and then the relationships with the players, which is I think something that oftentimes we overlook. And you know, if you look at Mullen's decision with Grantham if his relationships with his players were really, really strong and you think he's got, you know, really good recruiting chops or you think he's got high football acumen, then he's got that two out of the, the two out of the three, the coach was talking about there. And so, um, you know, those are things that we don't always necessarily have line of sight to when, when Mullen or anyone else is making a change. Yeah. I think so, something that caught, you know, about Mullen when we asked him toward the beginning saying, you know, Mullen hasn't really changed uh, from his time at Mississippi state. He's just still adapting to the talent that he has. And, you know, I guess there's a couple ways to look at that. Yeah, he has changed in the way he, you know, the offensive approach. We saw the offensive approach with a Tim Tebow and Dak Prescott, like he mentioned, to uh, an offensive approach uh, like Kyle Trask. But I guess, you know, coming from Chizik to say, you know, look, I knew he had that ability. I knew he's going to take whatever he has, the ingredients that he has for this recipe, and he's going to make the best possible meal out of it. Well, there you go. That's He basically said that's what he saw from Dan Mullen at Mississippi State, and that's what he continues to see at Florida. Well, I thought that was interesting when he talked about halftime adjustments coming out of halftime, and he talked about Mullen having a library of plays, right? And and so there, what really flashes through my mind is almost like a Rolodex, where you mean to tell Mullen me it's not like it's not like Mike it's, it's not like Mike Leach in a just a, a note card. <laughs> well, I mean, it might be a little bit of that. It depends on whether you're listening to. To, to some of the guys who tell stories about drawing stuff up in the dirt, but yeah. you know, I think of it as like I think of it as like a Rolodex, right? Where 
he has a certain set of plays for a guy like Kyle Trask and the team will have drilled that and will have that kind of stuff ready. And maybe it's not in the game plan for that specific week, but they've repped it enough during spring practice, during the fall practice, and then maybe even in, in between various weeks that they're able to bring it out. So, you know, like last year against Georgia, when the wheel route started working, obviously that was something they game planned, but I'm not sure that it's something they intended to throw 12 times in that game. But by the time they saw that it was working, by the time they saw Georgia wasn't adjusting, it was something that he could just keep pulling that play out of his Rolodex. His team had repped it a thousand times, and they were able to take advantage of it and and able to really exploit something that not only did they see on film, but continue to exploit it even as Georgia was trying to make adjustments. And one more, Will, the quarterback position. You know, basically, uh, thanks to Scott Sweat for his question, or Gators Breakdown Plus, but, you know, saying you know, kind of the the air raid quarterback or the dual threat quarterback saying, hey, look, it's not hard to figure out. You want that quarterback that can test the defense uh, with his legs. And, look, he goes into something that we brought up m- many times in, in, in Dan Mullen and something that's base, you know, a basic in his offense when he's going to have a quarterback like Embry Jones, and that's the numbers advantage. You know, you and I discussed it when we were, you know, looking forward to Embry Jones taking over uh, at quarterback for Kyle Trask, and that is the numbers advantage. And that was the first thing Chizik you know, brought up there is when you have a quarterback like Henry Jones, you're going to have that numbers advantage, whether it's the tail blocking or the zone read uh, to take some guys out of the play, you're going to have a numbers advantage with a dual threat quarterback in a damn Mullen offense. Yeah. We didn't get a chance to ask him about when Mullen splits the wide receivers way outside yeah. the numbers <laughs> to really exacerbate that sort of thing. But um, you know, I, we've been saying this all off season long is that, you know, maybe early on there might be a couple of hiccups, but for the most part, I think we've got pretty good confidence that Mullen's going to be able to get the offense moving. Maybe not where it was last year, but certainly going to be able to get the offense moving. Um, and that's really why, you know, we sort of, <laughs> that's why we ask everybody about Grantham and the decision-making and all that sort of stuff, right? Is because if the defense had been good last year, the offense would, would have been able to carry the team to where we wanted to go. And so um, this year, um, you know, we'll see as as he adapts into that dual threat offense, having a quarterback who's already shown that he's quite effective when he's running the ball, even when people know that he's running the ball. Um, but it is good to hear from somebody who's watching the film and and paying attention to these sorts of things that that Mullen is able to switch between those two types of things and that it's not just us sort of thinking that, that people who are very respected in the game, people who are head coaching level uh, people looking at film I'd say the same thing about Mullen that we are. Well, one more thing. If uh, if it doesn't work out with Todd Grantham in 2021, we did ask him, you know, about getting back into coaching. And so he said it would take the right opportunity. Uh, he says he still has those connections in Gainesville that he still keeps in touch with uh, down there. So, you know, he said if the right opportunity comes along, you'd have to wonder if uh, if a move is made from Todd Grantham at the end of uh, 2021, if one Gene Chizik could uh, be on the sideline a year after that. I mean, he'd certainly be on the short list of people. He'd I mean, have to he, be. He, you know, well, when we were when we were you know sort of researching for this, I mean, you forget, or, or maybe a lot of people forget that he was the defensive coordinator on that 2004 Auburn team that got frozen out of the national championship. They had Oklahoma and USC playing each other for the national championship, and that Auburn team in 04 with Jason Campbell and Cadillac Williams and Ronnie Brown on offense. But they were 14th in points per game allowed that year, went, went undefeated, and just you know got left out because the SEC didn't really have the respect in 04 that they would have now. I mean, you wouldn't have a 13-0 SEC <laughs> team, not, not, not in the playoffs and certainly not in the national championship. 
championship um, these days, but back in 04. So, you know, he's got that pedigree of being able to improve defenses. When he went to Iowa State as a head coach there, the defense immediately improved, even though the record didn't improve that much. So certainly he'd be on the list of candidates. But, you know, one of the things now is now that Mullen's made the decision to keep Grantham, I'm really rooting hard for Grantham. Yes. I hope Grantham does really well, not just for the program, but also, you know, at the end of the day, you never want to see somebody fail. Certainly don't want to root against anybody. So, uh, you know, hopefully we don't have to make that decision. Hopefully the defense turns itself around and Coach Chiswick stays on the SEC network for a long time to come. <laughs> he believes that turnaround's coming. So, uh, look, they're going to be better. Just how much better uh, will be the question. They, they can't – I, I make this joke all the time, Will. You know, we kept saying, hey – when McIlwain and Muschamp were the head coaches. Hey, there's no way the offense can be worse than it was last year. Well, they, they found ways, but hopefully <laughs> for the defense, we can sit here and say there's no way they can be as bad as they were in 2020. Well, I mean, there's a difference between going from Treon Harris to Luke Del Rio <laughs> and, and, and Luke Del Rio to Kyle Trask, so, or Felipe Franks to Kyle Trask. So hopefully what we will see is, is more of the latter and less of the former on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of youth. We've talked about that. There's going to be a lot of turnover. Um, but there's also a lot of practice time, right? And so it sounds like they're fixing some of the issues that they couldn't fix last year or didn't have the time to fix last year. Sounds like there's going to be more accountability when people aren't lining up properly or aren't 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 able to execute their assignments there will be people waiting in the wings to, ha- to help with that so i think that's going to help a big part of it but you know large jumps don't often happen when you don't ha- have a coaching change so that is one of the things that i think people do need to keep in, in mind is you know when we were talking about that that all we wanted to see was progress i remember writing an article about florida's offense and saying what's a reasonable expectation for progress and a reasonable expectation was not oh we're going to have a top 10 offense it was let's just not be in the bottom 100 right <laughs> like, let's not be that far down and, and i think when you think about what we should expect from florida's defense this year you shouldn't expect a top 10 defense you should expect a defense that's steadily improving and and younger guys who are starting to play a larger role and you're starting to see them flash athletically and and know where they're supposed to be and and those are the types of things we should be looking for so um you know i I don't have immense hope that we're going to have a top 10 defense this year but certainly um i'm rooting for it and and we'll see because i I do think that uh mullen's going to be able to get the offense rolling no matter who he's got at quarterback all right, all right. Good episode there with Gene Chizik. Will, uh, thanks for uh, hopping off your your lunch break uh, there. We're kind of an impromptu episode here. of uh, we, That's when Gene Chizik could fit us into his schedule, so uh, we, we made it work uh, check, getting the both of us on here. So, uh, Will, what you, got, uh, what you got coming up? Oh, man. So I'm on Stadium Miguel tonight, going to be talking about Mike White and uh, basketball. So yep. I'm completely out of my element, but that'll be kind of fun. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I've been talking about uh, – about writing about um, Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, some of the things they do well and some of the things they don't. And that's coming up this week. Awesome, awesome. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site, readingreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>